This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Have any of you heard the story of a man named Jonah? Yes. Oh, uh, well, uh, would you like to hear a song about it? Perfect! Now, Jonah was a prophet, but that's not why he's remembered. We tell the tale, cause in a whale, he nearly was dismembered. Jonah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, but he really never got it. Sad but true, if you've been watching, you can spot it. A doodly doo, he did not get the point. The story of Jonah is a moral tale, which is a very different kind of prophetic story in the Hebrew scriptures. Usually prophets take the task by God and relish it and and go out and, and proclaim on God's part. But the story of Jonah, he's very reluctant. God says, go to Nineveh, this Assyrian city, and tell them they're doomed. But Jonah doesn't want to do that. Instead of going to Nineveh, he boards a ship going to Tarshish, Spain, the other side of the world. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. I love the book of Jonah. It reminds me that God has an assignment for everyone to be a communicator of his message. Jonah was a prophet, a communicator for God's message, and as such, he failed to communicate on behalf of God. Now, when you are a proponent of asking hard questions in life, you have to add to your list this question. Am I communicating God's message to my Nineveh? I know we all have a Nineveh because we live in it every day. No matter who you are, there is a Nineveh in your life, and your assignment is to communicate to it. Ninevehs are places of resistance, a place of independent thinkers, self-made people, and well-educated people whose training tells them to deal with ideas based on facts and not faith. Granted, no one likes Nineveh. It is much easier to stay among those who we share the same values and outlooks on life. But Jonah was given an assignment, just like our assignment from Jesus, to go into all the world and share the gospel. Jesus was saying, go into all the Ninevehs in the world and be my communicator. Today on the City Sites podcast, we want to talk about Jonah. Who was he? And why was this such an important assignment that God had to stop Jonah in mid-flight and redirect him? My guest today is a familiar voice who often stops by to chat. Today, he was in the neighborhood, so we have Chris Hebe back at the microphone. Chris, of course, works with Chosen People Ministry and has had a viable ministry presence in the Twin Cities for over 30 years. Chris, as I said in my opening remarks, I love Jonah. Now, you had talked about Jonah here recently because it was the reading in the Yom Kippur, was it? Yes. How is it used and why was it used? I have to backtrack a little bit. A couple years ago, ISIS, Mm -hmm. which had a stronghold in Nineveh, but Nineveh was renamed centuries ago Mosul. Mosul is the second largest town or city in Iraq, which happened to be the Assyrian Empire, the superpower of its time, 2,500 years ago. And 
Mosul was where Nineveh was, and that's there's actually was a huge shrine and mosque supposedly built over the tomb of Jonah. And ISIS felt all that was idolatry. Syrian temple built nearly 2,000 years ago is now a pile of rubble after the terror group ISIS rigged it with explosives and blew it up. In the past, ISIS has gone after smaller structures and statues claiming they were uh, encouraging the worship of false idols and that therefore they must be destroyed. So they blew up the most significant landmark in downtown Mosul. I remember this because I've always felt that Jonah was, to me, the most fascinating prophet in the Bible for numerous reasons that we're going to unfold here. Larry, a little side note, I happen to go into this cigar shop, tobacco shop periodically, and all the guys running it are Arabs. And their names are Job for Job. They are Jonah for Jonah. They're Noah. So I am, remember, and those guys are all considered Muslim prophets, okay? And Jonah's considered one of the great Muslim prophets. So when Mosul was destroyed, I heard his tomb was destroyed. I thought, wow. And it made me think, it, so it's, I've been spinning in my head on it. And then every Yom Kippur, which is every fall, it's called the Day of Atonement. Some people say the Day of at one meant. It's a 24-hour fast where you're asked to pray to God for 24-7 and have him forgive you for all your sins in the previous year. This is for Jews now. I got to tell you, to be a Jew is way harder than to be a Christian. Now, I find it so fascinating, and I've read so many rabbinical commentaries because on some level, it, it's so nonsensical uh, to use Jonah which seems to be an obscure prophet on many ways, it has the most controversial single story in the Old Testament. But I'm still questioning, why Jonah? I mean, why use him for a reading for the forgiveness unless the end of his life he actually did get restored and that is why they use it. To me, he was rebellious. He ran from God. You know, it is a great conundrum and the rabbis are not sure how he got chosen, but here's a fact anything. When you ask a person, a serious Bible student, who's the first evangelist to the Gentiles? Well, 99% of people will say the Apostle Paul. And I will say, absolutely not. It's five, 600 mm -hmm. years earlier. It's Jonah. Jonah was asked to go to the most evil, wicked empire of its time. And I mentioned before, if they took you as a prisoner, a slave, they would either cut your ears and nose off. So you would be permanently scarred beyond imagination that the Assyrians would always know you are a permanent slave. slave. You are basically scum and we own you. They killed and murdered whatever they want, whenever they want. They were unbelievably ruthless, which reminds me of ISIS. And I remember when ISIS first came on the scene, they executed a kindergarten. I remember being seriously traumatized. They beheaded an entire kindergarten. And the closest I'd ever heard to evil in ancient times was the Assyrians, was the Ninevites. And their god was Dagon. And Dagon was the god that Samson, mm -hmm. when he went to the Philistines, it was their god and took down that whole temple and killed all those people. It was the god Dagon, which was kind of a sea monster man. 
you know, is a, a, I mean, an ugly half man, half sea monster, whatever. So I think it's interesting that, you know, this is the second kind of round with them. Well, and I can understand why, according to what you just said, why Jonah ran away. I mean, that would be a fearful thing to go to Nineveh to preach against their sinfulness. Oh, Larry, it, it would be beyond terrifying. You know what? It's like saying you're called to witness to ISIS. Well, you basically know in reality mm-hmm. you're going to die and you ain't going to die pretty. They lit a whole bunch of people on fire, men, when they would catch them. This is recently. They would light them on fire and burn them to death. And it was on video, and they relished it. I would run away. Larry, I totally get Jonah. I mean, there's zero chance. I would say, Lord, you are insane. ISIL will do anything it can to strike terror and fear into its opponents. They stand for nothing but what they can destroy, not for anything that they can build. Because it really stands for nothing. Okay, so Jonah's running away. He's he's not facing his fear. He's allowing fear to drive him in flight away from God. And 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 they said he was going to Tarshish. Well, some people think that Tarshish was in in Spain, but some others think it's Tunisia. But anyway, it's on the other end. It's on the western part of the Mediterranean. Uh, yeah, of Africa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so he's on the way. There's this big storm, and he doesn't care. He's sleeping. You know, he say this is better than going to Nineveh. So so what happened when they threw him overboard, the fish came up and, and swallowed him up? What happened to him well, well, that made him eventually say, okay, God, I'm going to Nineveh? Well, Larry, he's on a boat with a bunch of Gentiles, or i.e. pagans. Gentile and pagans, it's the same concept. Correct. You don't worship the God of Israel. So right. he goes and hides. And this could not have been a big boat, by the way, Larry, that big. And there was a lower level. He's probably with fishnets and stuff. I don't know how he was sleeping, believe me. But anyway, a storm comes up and they are up on top in panic because there's, you know, a significant storm. And they finally go down and smack him awake and go, hey, what are you doing? We're going to die here. You know, who are you? Who's your God? And he says, I'm the guilty one. I'm sorry. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet. God told me to go witness to the scum of the earth, and I didn't want to. He said, your only chance is if you throw me overboard. Well, and the interesting thing is, is that that was part of the pagan thinking back then, that if something's happening that's a disaster-orientated, you know, there's there's crisis, it had to be because you sinned or, or something against a god, right? Yes. I mean, that's what they were saying. Who's the cause of this? It wasn't any of us, so it must be you, Joe. So that was their thinking, their idea that you've done something to offend somebody, and that's why we're in this predicament. Right, and they were all on their knees praying to their own God, whatever that happened to be. So they say, just throw me in, whatever. They didn't want to do it. I mean, because you're basically killing him, right? Right, right. Okay, well... It says that God prepared a fish, a a dog, a dog. It's like dog, but it's a fish. D-A-G in Hebrew is is fish. It's actually dog gadol, a very large fish. Now, there was no word in Hebrew at the time for whale, but once it got retranslated for, you know, centuries, millenniums later, they went to whale because whale was the most obvious. We don't know if it was a whale or a fish. It said God prepared one, okay? Mm-hmm. This is where it gets controversial, Larry. In most of the pagan non-Christian world, this is considered one of the great fables and stories in history. It's like all the other you know, great fables and stories, okay? The Jews are torn. Modern Jews that are not religious, of course it's a, it's a myth, it's a fable. It is the most ridiculed story for being historically true 
in the Old Testament. Now, here's the Lord God, Jesus, the king of the universe, who's down here in a body. And he says, he goes to you, wicked, unbelieving, pathetic generation. I'm only going to give you one sign. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. Now, he would have known that was probably the most controversial single story or prophet that was probably made jokes of. It's the ultimate fish story, right? Now, I'm convinced that Jonah dies, and I'm going to tell you why. So, let's just slow down a little bit. Okay. You're convinced that this story that Jesus is saying to this unbelieving generation, I'm only going to give you one sign, and it's the sign or the story of Jonah. So, why is he giving them the story of Jonah? Is it symbolic of his own death and, and burial and resurrection? You know, it's, you can also say it's virtually a parallelism. Now, Jonah was not sinless whatsoever, and he was not from the tribe of Judah, but he was a called prophet. He was a powerful individual himself. He was a no-nonsense guy, okay? Here's Jesus showing all these signs and wonders. And remember, they're all saying, hey, you, everything you do is because of the devil. He goes, you know, you're such a pathetic group. The only sign I'm going to give you is Jonah. Now, I have to tell you right now, Larry, that night in the bars of Jerusalem or wherever they were, they were yucking it up and going, can you believe what that pseudo-Messiah just said? I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah? You mean that myth, that fable, that whatever? We don't have records. I've looked into it, and I could not find any ancient records, rabbinical things, it's dealt like with a lot of liberal Christians as an allegory, Mm. symbolic. But here's the thing, and this is controversial, and I believe only a minority of theologians believe this, but the ones that believe it, hey, Brother J. Vernon McGee (laughs) is convinced that he died and rose. And I'm convinced of that, not because of Jay, but because of the language. Okay. You want me to get into the language just sure. a little bit? Because I'm, I'm curious. I, that is not something that is usually preached, no. that he died in the belly of the whale. Obviously, he's praying in there in chapter 2, and it seems like he's acknowledging the fact that he made a mistake, and he's repenting, and he's praising God, and he's actually at the end of the prayer, he's saying, I'll do what you've asked me to do. So it sounds as if he didn't die at all. He's still very much alive. So make your well, case. Well, you know what's interesting, Larry? Now, the word miracle. If you were to be swallowed by a, a very large fish or whatever. Now, there have been examples, seven or eight in history, where whalers, whalers from the 18th, 19th century, they would get knocked overboard. It was really hard. In the old days, you harpoon a whale, you would have to go out in a smaller boat to do the final kill on it. You know, basically the Moby Dick story, right? Okay. And the whales were not happy, and they would smash the boat. Sailors would eventually be swallowed Now, they were all unconscious when they were found or dead, okay? They had like almost a bleach on them because you're in the stomach acid of these whales, right? So being swallowed by a large fish is not, it's happened before. Correct. You wouldn't say a ton of times, but Mm -hmm. enough, okay? But they did not take the whaler or the fisherman down hundreds of feet or thousands of feet potentially he's talking about being at the bottom at the gates of hell and sheol now sheol was a a symbolic term for everything but remember at that time it was called abraham's bosom okay sheol that you went to the place of the dead abraham's bosom was the place of the dead 
But Abraham's bosom was the good part, okay? The dead, the lost dead were in a chasm. Remember that rich man, whatever? Mm-hmm. Hey, get my get my guy Lazarus to come give me some drink. And he goes, the chasm, he can't do anything for you. You had your chance kind of a thing. Okay, this is the story where I'm going to tie it in. And we don't have the time to get into it. And I'm really working on doing a major teaching on it. But I'll tell you this. He says to him, I called the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried. He didn't say the whale, but he was in the whale, right? The belly of Sheol. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Now, Jesus' physical body, his soul, was obviously trapped in the tomb in Jerusalem, right? Correct. But his spirit, I think, descended towards, remember it said that he Mm -hmm. spoke to captivity. I think captivity was Abraham's bosom. And we don't have time to really expound on that. That's some time for another show. Sure. But he went down to the pit. And people say, well, he was hallucinating. He was unconscious. I think that he was fully conscious in his spirit. But I do think his body died. Remember, once you get down like Obiolo 100 feet, your your ears start to pop out, you start to bleed, your brain bleeds, whatever. And if he was taken down in the Mediterranean, which is not nearly as deep as the ocean, it would have killed him from that alone. But we can't speculate. He says, I remember the Lord, my prayer came to me into thy holy temple. His dying breath, Jonah begs God for mercy, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord responds. Now, I think he was already dead. Larry, do you remember there's a controversial story in the New Testament, where Jesus goes to, I think it was Jairus, and he has a daughter. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, people have wanted to say her name is Talitha or Tabitha, right? But the scripture actually says here, when Jesus goes to the little girl, what does he say to her? Talitha, kumi, little girl, arise. Talitha was supposed to be a little girl, arise. The Lord says he speaks to the fish, Jonah's got no ability to control that thing whatsoever, Mm -hmm. right? It says he gets the fish to vomit Jonah out on the beach of somewhere between northern Lebanon and Iraq today, or it would have been Syria, right? And then he says to Jonah, after he's vomited out on the beach, kumi, the Hebrew is kumi, arise. So it seems that the Lord spoke to that little girl to resurrection, kumi, and he says to Jonah... Kumi, arise. Now, here's what's insane, Larry. I can't imagine being him. Let's just pretend he was unconscious for whatever length of time. He's got to walk about 350 to 400 miles, like from Minneapolis to Chicago, to get to Nineveh on top of that, okay? Now, I think only a death, burial, resurrection is he able to now walk into downtown ISIS headquarters and deal with the most evil people in the world? Because he goes, you know what? I just found out. If they kill me, if they cut me and slice me to pieces, I'm going to be dead again. I know where I went. I'm in Abraham's bosom. I'm in Oh, that's a good point. Right? That's a good point. And so his fear Mm -hmm. was gone. I mean, think about it, Larry. The thought of having to go to ISIS in the flesh... Well, something happened to where the fear was no longer dominating him because he he obeyed. Okay, he goes to Nineveh. Get this. He's in downtown Nineveh, the, the, the Las Vegas, San Francisco of the known world, right? I mean, it is beyond bestiality. Everything goes. He walks in, and he doesn't even look like them, right? I mean, he's dressed differently, and he walks, and it, the Bible says it takes three days. He does not offer them an olive branch at all, Larry. No. 
He's just saying, thus saith the Lord. This is the opposite message of that famous preacher in Houston. This is totally opposite. This is no ifs, ands, or buts. You will be destroyed in 40 days. Mm -hmm. I want you to imagine you're the superpower of the time. So, Chris, why would anyone want to believe this guy? I mean, why? I mean, who is he? He's he's got no army. He's got no credentials. He's not uh, Donald Trump. He doesn't have any power whatsoever. Why are they believing that this guy is truthful in saying that in 40 days, Nineveh's going to be done. They had known that the Jews were famous. The Hebrews were famous for prophets, right? Here's a guy that has zero fear, beyond zero fear. You could tell with his conviction, his integrity, the fire in his belly that this guy means business because they found out, you know, you'd have to be basically insane to go read Nineveh the Riot Act, right? If you're a regular stooge. This guy goes in, no one touches him. From the moment he gets there, he freaks out and it's going through the cities. He's going up, down, sideways. Nobody stabs him. Nobody shoots him with an arrow. Nobody arrests him. Nothing. And you know what they do? He just tells, and it gets to the court, and the king, the Trump of his city, right, he goes, you won't believe it. Can you imagine this, Larry? Hey, there's this insane Jewish prophet named Jonah. Legend has it that he got spit out by a fish 400 miles from here, and he's come to tell us we're going to die. So he was obedient to tell the message and everything else was left up to the Lord. I mean, the Spirit must have been really there powerfully convicting people as a result of Jonah's obedience, including the king. I mean, you just don't turn the head of a king by a message unless there was something more powerful at play here. You know, Leary, I told you when I was ministering at the University of Minnesota campus about 20 years ago, I, I put a sign up. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jonah? Blah, blah, blah. And these three people came up. I think I told you. One girl and two guys. And they came up and said, yeah, we believe in Jonah. I said, you do? And they had a, you know, an accent. They said, yeah, we're from Nineveh. I said, shut up. They said, yeah, we are. He goes, we celebrate the festival of Jonah every year for the last couple thousand years. It's called the festival of Jonah. And it's in the old Nineveh ruins. It's archaeological ruins. It's like in Jerusalem. You know, uh, the original city of David is all an archaeological site, you know, the small one. But they said, oh, Jonah's for real. We got Jonah Street. There's Jonah's Way. There's whatever. And I'm like, why would they possibly honor Jonah, a foreign prophet? Or a, a Jewish prophet. Right. Though. Who read them the riot act. Right. Now, I'm convinced that he preached for 39 days. He wore himself out. He went up on the hill. He went up on the hill. What he didn't know was probably on the 37th or 36th day, the king goes, oh, my Lord, everybody, everybody is in sackcloth and ashes, and we're all not going to eat or drink, including the animals. Yeah. It says the, the animals are not. It said the cows were not fed or watered or whatever. And he's up there. Remember, we won't get into the plant in chapter four, but he's up there. He's like rubbing his hands going, woohoo. I can't wait for the fireworks. I can't wait to see how God's going to do this, right? I mean, he's like me. I mean, I want to I want to burn ISIS to the ground, right? What does God do? Spares them all. Gen- a pagan nation who worships one of the arch enemies of Israel with the uh, one of the ultimate pagan gods, uh, Dagon, and they get at least temporarily saved. Now, in my opinion, Larry, I think that some of them really got saved. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a lot of information. But, you know, the Jews, in every Arab country in the world, the Jews have had synagogues, 
Well, yes. Yeah, so we don't know, you know, the depth of what Nineveh was capable. We do know they were ruthless. The prophet Nahum actually lays out yeah. some of the the debauchery, and mm-hmm. and they were they were really ruthless. I mean, they were like you say, the worst of the worst. So let me jump to Jesus now. Okay. Now you remember Jesus had a ton of skeptics among the religious leaders. I mean, he upset their whole country, right? Mm-hmm. He, I mean, implied he was God, he was born of a virgin, that kind of thing. Remember, that was a scandal. In Nazareth, he was a bastard child for the majority of the villagers. They didn't believe that he was born of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here he is. He takes the most controversial story in the Old Testament, which is considered kind of a joke, a myth, a fable, and he aligns himself with this radical thing. Now, I think he did that because he knew it was true. He knew it was fact, and he wanted to say, hey, you got a problem with me? I'll give you something even more. I'll pile it on here right now. I'm going to throw mashed potatoes on top of this. <laughs> I'm going to tie myself in with Jonah. Wait a minute. Jonah is, what is he? He's going to say that he lived inside, I mean, dead for three days. He does. He goes three nights, three days and three nights into this tomb, and he resurrects. I'm convinced, Larry, when they saw him and he was resurrected, they said, you know what? Jonah, I bet you they had a nickname for him. Look at that's Jonah too. Jonah Jr., mm-hmm. he said, I will only give you the sign of Jonah. Why would he do it on a myth, a fable, where Jonah did not actually die and resurrect? I'm saying I leave my argument there and I say you deal with God on it. Hmm. Well, you make a convincing thought, especially as you tie it into Jesus because of what he did and what we know who he was. So, yeah, why would he tie himself into a myth? That's a that's a really good point. You know, we're going to have to leave it there. Okay. But, but I want to ask you one last question, and that is repentance changes everything. And that's the issue today as well, is if we come to repentance, Nineveh came to repentance, and look what God did. God spared them from total devastation. And I think our world today needs a good dose of repentance, change of heart? Well, remember the Hebrew is teshuva. Okay. That means it's not like an emotional, you know, like in, a, in those rotating office chairs where you right, can spin right, around. Right, right, oh, right. no, no. This is where you stop, you stand up, and you go the exact opposite direction towards God, not away from God. Well, Chris, you made a great connection between Jesus and Noah and how the end result of both brought people into the kingdom of God. The story of Jonah is a story of redemption, first to Jonah, where God interrupted him in midstream of his rebellion and redirected his life to preach redemption to Nineveh. Did Jonah die like Jesus did? That is a great question, but both had great results following the belly of the whale and following the cross of Calvary. So where are you today? Is God trying to get your attention like he did with Jonah? Is there a Nineveh God has called you to? And what has been your response? May God always call us to those who need us the most in Jesus' name. My thanks to Chris Heeb from Chosen People Ministries for joining me today. In recent years, culture has become more influential than the church. Much of the influence is a direct attack on the Bible and the truth. City Sites Podcast is designed to bring a different point of view and we hope you will continue to listen as we make our case. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. 
Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 